0: our reading at verse 18, and then read through the end of this chapter. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18, what we hear now is God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 861 in the back section. As tonight, we read uh, Belgic Confession, Article 18. From page 861 in the back, Article 18 entitled, The Incarnation. So then, we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets, when he sent his only and eternal Son into the world at the time set by him. The Son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation." And he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul, in order that he might be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost, as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. Therefore, we confess against the heresy of the Anabaptists, who deny that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother, that he shared the very flesh and blood of children, that he is fruit of the loins of David, according to the flesh, born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, the seed of David, a shoot from the root of Jesse, the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham, for he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In this way, he is truly our Emmanuel, that is, God with us. This is our confession of faith. Well, kids, perhaps tonight by the... uh, songs that we have sung, and by the text that I just read about Jesus' birth, uh, you might think uh, Reverend is a little bit confused about what time of year it is. Now, I would not likely dismiss the possibility I'm confused, uh, but not about this. Uh, You know why we are looking at this text tonight. You know why we sang those songs tonight because we are moving on in our study of the Belgic Confession to the next section. I know that in the Heidelberg Catechism, many of us who grew up learning the Catechism learned that there are three sections very easy to identify. The Belgian Confession, not as easy to identify, but still written in particular sections. The first section, Articles 1 through 13, Dealing with God, and particularly with God the Father, His Word and His work. And then in Articles 14 through 17, we have the description in the Confession about who man is His creation, His fall, His free will, and original sin. And now we move on to the next section, dealing not with God the Father, dealing not with man in particular, but dealing with the second person of the Trinity, with Jesus Christ. This covers Articles 18 through 26, the third section of the Confession. In Articles 18, 19, and 20, we have a description for us of the person of Christ, who He is. And in Articles 21 through 26, we have the work of Christ, what it is He came to do. And so we enter that section tonight, beginning with the birth of Christ. I think there's something healthy, there's something helpful about studying the Christmas story at a time of the year other than December. In December, we are so caught up with all of the trappings of Christmas, with the decorations, with the trees, with the shopping, with all the other things, it's easy to miss what Christmas is all about. But when we look at this story, apart from all of that, look at what God did in His Son Jesus Christ, in the Incarnation, we see even clearer the glory and the mystery of what God did in Jesus Christ to send his son eternal God becoming fleshly man that's what incarnation means kid. to be kids to be in the flesh Jesus Christ, eternal God, who who enjoyed an existence with God throughout all eternity, was willing to take on flesh and to come to earth, our flesh, our blood, and all of this to be a blessing for us. Tonight, we look at Jesus' incarnation. Now, we didn't read uh, the first half of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, beginning uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, and then list for us all of Christ's ancestors. I said we didn't take time reading that, but it's, it's, it's not because it's not important. The genealogy reminds us that Jesus Christ really came. It is a fact that he was born. The fact that Jesus Christ was born, the Son of God becomes incarnate, is not simply a part of our faith, as if we can separate matters of fact, those things that are absolutely true, and matters of faith, those things we just believe are true. All these two things perfectly coalesce. Our faith is in the facts. In the fact that in the fullness of time, God sent His Son to be born. Born of Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We have His lineage laid out for us. The fact that Jesus came to earth is not simply a tenet of our faith. It is a fact that we know is true. You can trace his history through the genealogy given to us in Matthew. Jesus Christ came truly to be born of Mary and Joseph. And he came at the perfect time. I remember uh, when I was at Dort College, uh, I took a class in uh, ancient history, That kind of was ancient history, that was so long ago. But I took a class in ancient history, and one of the things I recall from that class is learning about what was going on in the world at the time Jesus was born. And we learned about something called the Pax Romana. It is just Latin for the peace of Rome. And we learned that Jesus came at a time when there was a fairly universal peace in that part of the world. Roman leadership gave a certain sense of stability to the countries under the leadership of Rome. Because it was a time of peace, the Pax Romana, there was a very good road system. Now think about that, if you're always at war, you don't have time to build roads. But there was a very good road system during the Pax Romana, so when the the announcement came for a census to be taken, they could easily travel to where they had to go. The Pax Romana provided for a road system to be developed. And during this same time, because of Roman leadership, it was fairly universal for people to understand the Greek language. It was was the language that was available to many, many people. And we learned that, that all of these things somewhat conspired to make the perfect time for Jesus to be born. They could go for the census, the word about him could get out because Greek could be spoken, everybody could hear about it. The Pax Romana made it it the perfect time for Jesus to come. Now it's good to know the circumstances surrounding Jesus' death, excuse me, Jesus' birth, but Jesus was not born at that time because of what was going on in the world, because of the Pax Romana. Jesus was born at that time because that's when God wanted him to be born. To be sure, God orchestrated everything else, but if God had wanted him born a thousand years earlier, that's when he would have been born. If God had wanted him born a thousand years later, that's when he would have been born. Yes, God would orchestrate things, but it was God's timing that sent Jesus Christ, not the fact that all the conditions of man were suddenly right. We read in our confession, So then, we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets, when He sent His only and eternal Son into the world at the time set by Him. Jesus came at the perfect time. God's timing, always perfect. Even when it might not seem that way to us. I suspect... If you had asked Joseph, is this a good time for a baby to be born? Is this a good time to find out that your fiancé, with whom you have not been with yet, is pregnant? I don't think Joseph would have said, oh, yes, this is a great time to find out she's going to have a baby. It was God's timing, and God's timing even in spite of what our limited view might see, God's timing is always perfect. Joseph would need to be instructed by God that, that, that this was the proper time. And so we read in verse 20, Instructed by God, reminded by God that his timing is always perfect. And and in that instruction, we, we see the purpose for which Jesus was sent. Again, from verse 21, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I know I've told you before, uh, I've told my catechism class as well, uh, what was Jesus' name? What was the name that he was given? Well, you say, well, just look at the text, his name was Jesus. But remember, I mentioned the Pax Romana in the Greek language. The New Testament was written in the language of Greek. But Mary and Joseph were not Greeks, they were not Romans, they were Hebrews. They were not speaking Greek, they spoke Hebrew, perhaps Aramaic. When we translate the name that they gave to their son, it translates into Greek as Jesus. But the Hebrew name they gave him, the name they would call him when they would call him in for dinner, the Hebrew name they gave him was the name Joshua. That was Jesus' name, children. He was called Joshua. Joshua, a beautiful Old Testament name. A name that means God saves. That's what Joshua means. God saves. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. His name was something more than just something to call him. It was a description of the purpose for which he was sent. And so now we hear this text, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Joshua, God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. This is what he came to do. His name perfectly summed up who he is. He is God saves, the one who will save his people from their sins. Kind of as an aside, this is also a reference to Jesus Christ's deity. His name is God saves, and he will save his people. A reference to his deity as to who he was. Jesus came. His purpose was not, first of all, to be a good example. Jesus came. His purpose was not, first of all, to be a fine teacher, although he was that. He came to save his people from their sins. That was the glorious purpose for which God sent him. And although it's a truth, many of us, have heard over and over and over again. We should once again be amazed at how this happens. God determines to save His fallen people. That itself is amazing. We've talked in the last number of articles about man's fall, freely choosing to disobey God and being bound in his sin, choosing not to follow God. God would have been just to completely leave him in his sin. But God doesn't do that. He determines to save His people. And the way He does that is by sending His own Son, who is also true and eternal God, to take on flesh, to become fleshly, to to become limited. The eternal God takes on flesh. That, That reality must never cease to amaze us. And he did it for our salvation, truly becoming like us in every way, sin excepted. Again from the confession. The Son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul, nor that he might be a real human being, for since the soul had been lost as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. Jesus Christ becomes a real man like us in every way, except for sin, that he might save his people. He was truly human. And as such, he understands us. He understands humanity. He understands our struggles. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our anxieties, our fears. He knows what it is to truly be human. He came to redeem us. He was not sinful, but but knows that we are sinful. And came as a true human man to redeem us from our sins. God takes on humanity that we might be saved. That's why he came. That's the the glory of the incarnation. And it is that glory that we still celebrate today. Jesus Christ is still the center of all Christian preaching. Who he is, son of God, Jesus, Joshua, God saves. And he continues that glorious work still today. Still, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is declared, And people put their faith and trust in Him. He is doing His name. He is saving His people from their sins. And so that call of the gospel goes out again tonight. To embrace this Jesus Christ, to trust in Him, truly God, truly man, took on humanity and did that for each and every one of His people. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, god saves as he as he does this work as he becomes incarnate it is the fulfillment of the promises made to his people we read in verse 22 all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The word of promise to Joseph, this is of God. This is of God, and you are to do as God has instructed you, and that's exactly what, what Joseph does. The word of God fulfilled in him, in his response to the word of the angel. He does take Mary as his wife. He he does see the child born, and he does give him the name Joshua, God saves. The word of God fulfilled in the life of Joseph. But beyond that, the word of God fulfilled spoken by the prophets. By the prophet Isaiah, spoken so many years earlier. We read in our text, behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's incarnation language. That's incarnation. God with us. God coming down from the glories of heaven, taking on flesh and blood, and living with us, his people. God's faithfulness to his word. God's faithfulness to fulfill the promises he had made through the prophets. God is always faithful to the word he has given to us. God's faithfulness to bring this this Jesus, this Joshua, this savior, in the line of David. Now as I said, we didn't read the whole genealogy, but the genealogy traces uh, Jesus' lineage through David, through King David as a picture, he would fulfill that role too. God had promised a king forever on David's throne. We know that David didn't reign forever, but Jesus Christ comes as the true king, the true son of David, the true one to come and fulfill that role, who even now rules and reigns over his people from heaven. The word of God promised, already back in the Garden of Eden. We looked last time at at Genesis uh, chapter three, and the promise of one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. And they waited and they waited and they longed and looked forward to the coming of that one who would come and it seemed to come so, so long waiting and then finally in the fullness of time at God's preparation, at God's timing, he sends Jesus Christ to to deal that final death blow to the head of the serpent. As Jesus Christ dies for the sins of his people, completes the work the Father had given him to do, and is raised again on the third day and ascends into heaven. And in him we see our glorious future as well. We too shall be raised to new life, to enjoy life with him forever in heaven. Our destiny is not the grave. Our destiny is the skies because of the incarnation because of Jesus Christ, who came to be like one of us in every way, sin accepted. That's that's the beauty of of this text, the mystery, the miracle. God would choose to save fallen mankind when we were doing nothing to seek him, and he would save us in the most excellent way by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, truly divine, to take on flesh and blood, to take on our humanity, to be our God saves, that all of His people might have the glorious hope and assurance of salvation. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank You and praise You for the person and the work of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that He truly is the God-man, that he is our only hope for salvation, and that you have inclined our hearts to embrace him as our Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord God, that the glories of who Jesus Christ is might be, the truth might be declared by us, to our family, to our friends, by those around us that we might know them too, to come into your people, that Jesus might be their Savior as well. We praise you for who he is, and we praise you for what he did. To you, O God, belongs all the glory, honor, and praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We turn to number 311 in the Trinity Psalter. Number 311, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Those beautiful words from verse two, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. We're gonna sing all three verses, 311. Let's stand together as we sing.